This pandemic has a lot of people reanalyzing a lot of things, including where they want to live. For some people, that means asking if it's time to move out of big cities. During the first 12 months of the pandemic, there was an exodus from big cities all over the world. Technology has adapted and enabled people to work from home, wherever that home may be. Though now people are slowly returning to those cities, what awaits them? Here's the mayor of Jersey City, Stephen Fulsop, on what he thinks makes them desirable places. It's been a tough year and I do view art and an investment in arts and culture as the reason that cities are desirable places to live. And so, you know, you see a lot of cities making different types of bets on what's going to make them an attractive place, um, whether it's technology investment or low taxes. Here in Jersey City, we think ultimately people want to live in a place with the creative class, with arts and culture. So in this digital age, why is art important? Welcome to The Great Indoors, a podcast where we look at the lasting technological changes brought about by the pandemic and how technology can potentially help solve the other challenges facing humanity. I'm your host, Matt Roberts, and joining me as ever is my co-pilot and producer, Larissa Yee. Now, today's guest is Jane Golden, and if you haven't heard about Jane, her story is a future Academy Award-winning movie waiting to happen. Seriously. Jane has been the driving force of Mural Arts Philadelphia since its inception in 1984, overseeing its growth from a small city agency charged with tackling graffiti into the nation's largest public art program and a global model for transforming public space and community through art. Under Golden's direction, Mural Arts has created over 4,000 works of public art through innovative collaborations with community-based organizations, city agencies, nonprofits, schools, the private sector, and philanthropies. Jane is a graduate of Stanford University and has also received a Visionary Women Award from Moore College of Art and Design in 2003. In that same year, Eisenhower Fellowship selected Jane as a USA Eisenhower Fellow. She is an instructor at the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts and teaches at the University of Pennsylvania. Now, Jane has transformed Philadelphia aesthetically and culturally whilst addressing and alleviating the societal divides and issues in the society. So it's an honor and a great pleasure to welcome Jane to the great indoors today. Jane, welcome to The Great Indoors. Hi, I'm really glad to be here. Thank you for having me on. Excellent. And where are you enjoying The Great Indoors? Uh, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Nice. Is the weather nice? It is. It's a lovely fall day. So it's there's a little chill in the air, but it's really quite lovely. Now, and what have you done lately that you haven't been able to do for a while because of the lockdown? Some sort of return to normalcy that's given you some joy? Oh, that's a wonderful question. Well, I've been to the museum. So that was really nice to just be in the museum and see people there. And also we had a big opening event. Um, October is Mural Arts Month here in Philadelphia. So we did a very large mural that is a tribute to the trans community. And it's the first mural of its kind in our city. So that was very exciting. 
and we announced Mural Arts Month. And, you know, there were many, many people there. And it was really nice to be outside, a lovely day, people mingling and cheering public art. So so both those things were really nice. Fantastic. Fantastic. Now, we're going to talk about the Mural Arts Philadelphia program in a moment. But just give us a background of your journey so far, Jane, where, where you went to college and uh, how you came to be to where you are today. Yeah, so I went to, I was very lucky. I went to Stanford University. Um, I have always been a painter, but I was a double major, political science and fine art. Um, I thought I probably would end up going to law school. I moved down um, to Los Angeles and I it was a very good move because there were beautiful murals, sort of extraordinary murals everywhere. And I realized that I had always thought murals were wonderful because my I grew up in a family where my parents talked a lot about the the public art created during the 1930s and how important the WPA was, uh, President Roosevelt had done. I found myself really drawn to mural making and I found out about the LA mural program. I applied, I got a grant and I did this mural and it was like such a formative experience for me because I realized theoretically I love murals, but standing on that corner at Ocean Park in Maine and talking to people about their lives, their community was really wonderful. And then I started doing many murals and then I got very sick. I have lupus and I came back East to be with my family. I I grew up um, at the Jersey Shore, not too far from Philadelphia. And uh, when I was coming up to Philadelphia for treatments at the hospital, I started to read about an anti-graffiti network started by a former mayor Wilson Good, who was our first African-American mayor. So it was quite an important moment in the history of our city. And I ended up applying for and getting a job to work with graffiti writers. And I did that for about 10 years, uh, creating public art, art programs throughout the city, working with the most talented young people. When that program closed down, I went to the new mayor and asked if he would be willing open to, excited by the notion of creating a community-based public art program. And he agreed. And he said, you're in charge. Come up with a name. We said the Mural Arts Program. And <laughs> it was like we were like as a budget cuts. I think we were a staff of four. And uh, but we were a pro art program suddenly. And we were put in a great place in city government with a terrific commissioner uh, who was overseeing our work. And I'm telling you, we just never look back. It's like the mm-hmm. sky's been the limit for us. It's awesome. It's amazing. And I think what was great is so you, you started as this anti-graffiti program. Tell us a little bit how you how you, you you transformed that into the mural arts program in Philadelphia because it was graffiti is almost the antithesis, if you will, of of murals or or, or that's how I would see it. So how did mm-hmm. it go from from the anti graffiti into the murals and how did you harness the resources that you had to do that? Well, really, that happened during anti graffiti because what I realized is that the kids I was working with were good wall hunters. They didn't mind working outdoors. They loved art. So I was like, you know what? We're running all these art programs. We could do murals. We have a shared skill set. And so I went to my boss and to the mayor and I said, look, I think we need to start doing murals. I think this would be great because the whole point of anti-graffiti was to rechannel this energy they had towards graffiti to something else. Yeah. And it was clear that from their drawings, they were very talented. They had been drawing from comic books since they were young and sneaking into the museum and stealing. Some of them were stealing magazines like Art in America. It was sort of like strange, but interesting. 
And so I was like, okay, okay, we can really figure out a way to put their talents to work on behalf of the city. And so we started doing murals and it like caught the imagination of Philadelphians. I'm telling you, we were working in neighborhoods where the only other visible city employees were the police. And suddenly this group of people come into your neighborhood and say, what would you like on the wall? And I think that's what changed things is that that made people very open to art because people said to us, oh, things are either not done or done to us. And the only visual stimulation we have here are billboards advertising alcohol and tobacco. And we were like, no, 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 no. Everybody should have access to art. It is like oxygen. And so we started creating work. And for the young people who had been graffiti writers to suddenly be caught up in this movement about creating public art, it was really sort of life-changing for them. I mean, honestly, art became a lifeline. And I do not say that lightly. I mean, I realize people listening might say, oh, is that for real? It was for real. So the change we saw in neighborhoods, it was mirrored in the individual changes we saw in young people. So when I went to the that the mayor, Ed Randell, and I said, look, it's really sad that anti-graffiti is closing, but what about a pro-art program? Just in, like a program that really champions the arts and puts art to work on behalf of the city. I knew then in the back of my mind that art could be catalytic. I knew it could have an impact on young people's lives. I knew what it means to the civic life of the city. So that's what we wanted to put to work. So when we became Mural Arts, our core values were, were really formed during anti-graffiti. It was like community mm-hmm. process, valuing the authorship of all the communities, really making sure that young people are contributing. But then what happened is that a few years after we became Mural Arts, there was another mayor who made us part of the division of social services. There was a managing director who said, look, art has value. I wanted to be part of how big departments do business. And at that point, we started working with Department of Prisons, Department of Behavioral Health, Department of Human Services, Department of Education, you name it. We were sort of ubiquitous everywhere creating like all these programs and projects. And that was about 2004 and five. And our budget quadrupled, our staff quadrupled. And it's almost like from that point, we never look back. It was just like, boom, we're yeah. flying. And there's, there's different elements to this. So what started off as anti-graffiti, which is effectively illegal. So you were legalizing these young people's passions and talents, right? Mm-hmm. Then you're doing urban transformation. So you're making the city look beautiful and compelling and giving the community a pride in their surroundings. But then it goes on to another level, the societal, addressing some of the societal issues in the community, like gang violence, addiction, racism. Tell us about some of those important programs and how it's tackled some of those difficult societal issues. Sure, really good question. I mean, look, I'm somebody who has the opinion that when it comes to problems that seem very weighty and sometimes intractable, like we can't, we're never going to solve this, I feel that our traditional interventions fail us. They just do. And we tend to just do the same thing over and over again and then wonder why things aren't changing, the needle's not moving. So we have to embrace the role of creativity and innovation as it relates to, you know, sort of how cities do business. So our ability to infiltrate and be part of the structures of these big departments led to more systemic change. For example, we work in prisons. We work with people coming home. We train people in building skills, uh, technology. They get trained in uh, like how to build scaffolding, work with pavers, uh, you know, go on and on. But it's like there's a variety of skills involved in public art making. And we teach all of that plus financial literacy, parenting, leadership. It's a pre-apprenticeship program. Our recidivism rate is very, very low. The national average is quite high. So people who come nationally come home from prison 
there's a high chance they'll go back because of policies that are set in place that really cause people to go back. We're saying to people, we're not an ambivalent employer. We understand because a lot of the people that come to us have are creative. They've just never had an outlet for it. We can help you put that to work on behalf of the city. So we have young people throughout Philadelphia doing beautiful work. And so, and what happens is that everyone driving by goes, oh my God, this is beautiful. Oh, you're with mural arts. Oh, did you do that mural? The feedback loop is completely positive. So they start to change. They're learning new skills. The built environment of Philadelphia is improving. So it's like everything rises at the same time. We work with people who are facing housing insecurity and homelessness. We have a same day work program. We're transforming our transit concourses across the city of Philadelphia. You know, we're working with veterans struggling with PTSD and they're doing amazing murals in a certain part of the city. We're working with people struggling with addiction and creating little hubs, community places where people can go in, get social services, talk to a therapist, find out information about where to get a bed and have access to fabulous art programs. So it's like, we're sort of the quintessential multitasker. And sometimes people say, oh, are you an art program? Are you social services? Are you education? Are you community development? We sit at the nexus of all these different areas. And I think in the 21st century, that is actually a fascinating glimpse of how to run a program. I did some research and had a look and, and some of the work that you've been um, responsible for, Jane, is is amazing. It's really great. Tell us about some of the people that have been honoured in the murals and which one is your particular favourite, would you say? Because I think they're wonderful. Oh, that is such a good question. I mean, I think one of my favourites recently is we did a beautiful mural. Let me talk about one, then I'll talk about another. There's a mural that we did with artist Amy Sherald, who did... Uh, the Michelle Obama portrait, and she's very renowned. She's she's an internationally known artist, and we were lucky enough and grateful to have worked with her several years ago. And she picked a young woman to paint who was part of our program for kids aging out of foster care. And the mural is eight stories tall. And there in the heart of our city is this portrait, I mean, beautiful figure and portrait of this young woman. And her her gaze is so lovely. And she's looking out over the city. And I think to have a young woman of color on this prominent space in the heart of Philadelphia just says a lot about who we are and our core values and who represents our city. Part of it is like, it's beautifully painted. So I cheer the aesthetics and I love Amy Sherald's work, but the content is wonderful. And Amy also had, we had like you know, a hundred young people to, went to her studio in Hoboken and, and 500 kids had a unit of study on her. So we make it a very deep experience, but I love that figure. My other favorite is one that I'll go way back in time to 1989 when we did the Dr. J mural. Well, yeah. um, there's something really striking about Dr. J. It's by Kent Twitchell uh, being in a suit. Uh, Kent wanted kids to think beyond sports. And so, you know, it's just so interesting because in 89, when it went up, everybody said, that mural is going to get defaced. And we were like, no, we don't think it will. And it never did. It never was touched. I mean, most of our work doesn't get touched, but it's really become a beacon. And all these years, all these years later, it just stands strong and is very inspiring. No, I love that one. I love that one. I And, and we'll put that one on our website everyone, uh, so that our listeners can hear it as well. So 
what you've done in Philadelphia, Jane, is pioneering. It's brought the communities together. It's addressed some societal issues. Are there any other cities in the United States that you look at that are deploying similar programs or indeed have come to you for advice and guidance on doing something similar? Yeah, well, we have a mural arts institute. So if anyone is listening, we are working with about 15 cities right now, pretty intensively. We, we also do some regranting and the institute is doing just terrific work, building capacity so that other cities can really put art to work as well and look at that area of art and social and civic change. And people apply to us in teams. And that's been really rewarding because it's like a knowledge exchange, right? I think there's great mutuality. We're learning from cities as they're learning from us. And, you know, I'm really drawn to the work going on in, in Memphis, in Akron, in Detroit. There's really interesting work going on. I mean, LA is always it's a lot of fascinating things going on in Los Angeles. You know, Chicago has a history of muralism and continues on to this day. We're working with a terrific group in Santa Fe and Portland. So we see a lot of interesting things going on as it relates to community public art and social change issues. I think we're probably one of the largest programs in, in the world, actually. It's mm-hmm. like sort of become an engine. And that's why we were really drawn, thanks to several funders we were, who are supporting our work, um, we were drawn to really thinking about creating this Mural Arts Institute because we think it's really important that we not just think about individual cities or even Philadelphia, but to think about the field of art and social practice and what that means what the implications are and where it's going. And do you ever, or have you ever encountered resistance? I mean, because everything we've talked about, you can see the positivity that I don't see anything in any of this that is any way detrimental to anyone, but have you ever faced Mm -hmm. any resistance from individuals or groups and how have you overcome that? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would say way back in the day when we were the anti-graffiti network, when we were painting murals, People who were like art people, like fancy art people, would really critique us. And they would say, you're not creating art or you're not creating public art. And we would say, we're in public painting. So what are we doing if we're not doing public art? And they would say, you're you're actually, do, you're like doing social work. And they would say it as if they had a lemon in their mouth. Right. And I realized the reason they were so pejorative is because they saw murals as low on the food chain of public art. Real public art was sculpture and murals were something else. Now that has changed dramatically because you have graffiti, street art, muralism, public, big, complicated public art. All those lines are blurred. And the advent of social practice 15 years ago, where everyone from academics and writers and arts institutions talk about the journey, the process, creating the work, how important that is. Someone from the New York Times said to me, Jane, you and your team were like the original social practice artists. So we really feel vindicated. But then we have tapped into cords of racism or hostility that we've actually had to mediate. And in one instance, we actually had to hire a Quaker mediator and hundreds of people attended these meetings. And she was able, very in a very clever way, isolate the opposition so people could see this wasn't the huge group of people. It was a small group. But over time, we negotiated with them about who to put in this mural, and we were able to come to some agreement about that. It was a really um, a sort of an epiphany. It was a life-changing moment. And I think like I had heard someone on NPR talking about um, with someone who had worked in Bosnia, and he said, you know, the hardest thing for humans to do is to understand another person's perspective. But when 
it happens, one enters a state of grace. And I thought, what a wonderful way to say that, because at the dedication of this huge, such a contentious mural, people, all the naysayers and the people who love the work, they all stood side by side, cheering, cheering this mural. And I felt that state of grace that could occur. And I think that sort of is the power of art. Yeah. How do we shine a light on our distinction and difference and underscore a commonality and realize and acknowledge a common humanity. No, and I think no. that I've seen that enough so that the bumps in the road, I feel like so gritty, like we're gonna push past that. No, and you know I can relate to that for, from an example that that I, you know, in the summer, and this is in the United Kingdom, um, there was a mural of a famous uh, English footballer called Marcus Rashford, who'd also at a very young age lobbied the British government to provide free school meals for underprivileged children, and there was a lot of controversy. You know, people saying, "Well, why is this young footballer getting involved in?" societal and political issues but he was hugely successful and they dedicated this amazing mural of him in Manchester uh, which was the city that, that he was from and then during the World Cup he missed a penalty in the final for England and it was vandalized this particular mural with with racist undertones oh, no. but like you said whilst that was the the headline not the fact that England had gone out of this important soccer tournament but this mural had been defaced and, and it shone a light on that division and it isolated the perpetrators down to just a handful of mindless mm. idiots. And it brought the country and the community together based on that. So when you look at that, it was a beautiful mural. It, it was unfortunately vandalized, but then it was restored and it shone a light on that division and helped everybody move on understand where it was coming from and i think it was pretty important for for the whole community and for the whole country that that immediately came up in my mind when you were you were talking mm -hmm. about that jane and and something i could relate yeah. to let's switch gears for a moment and go into the pandemic because this podcast is called the great indoors we're talking about artwork that sits in the outdoors and we're also talking now we're, we're seeing people slowly return to the cities People sort of left the cities for a long period of time, but, but people are coming back now. And I was in Toronto recently and, and became cognizant of a lot of the mural art around me. How has the mural arts Philadelphia played a part in the pandemic? And as we come out of the pandemic, what do you have planned now for, for the communities? Oh, that's great. Well, I want to say that when the pandemic hit, we were very quick at pivoting and our, we, we had our programs all go virtual pretty quickly. And then we decided, aha, we need to be value added here. So we were going into, you know, when people would go into stores, they would see that there were like black lines keeping people six feet apart. And we were like, you know what? We could do better. So we created this whole series of decals oh, called wow. space pads. And we were able to commission literally hundreds of artists, hundreds and we distributed these space pads all over Philadelphia. Everybody wanted them. It became all the rage. Where are the space pads? And as of today, we've done 7,000 translated into six languages. <laughs> Yay! Wow. And wow. then we started doing banners and murals and with like accurate, up-to-date, trustworthy public health messages. 
everywhere across our city. So that was really awesome. We did a virtual mural engaging thoughts about, you know, Philadelphia and our spirit and resilience. We uh, started a fellowship program for black artists and we had, we were promoting their work online. Uh, And then of course, as soon as April hit, we went outdoors and we painted murals throughout the city because we could do that and ha- and be safe and be you know apart from each other cuz artists are on different levels of scaffolding so we figured out how to do it and really not miss a beat so part of it was like how do we make you know this is a terrible situation how do we you know push through this how do we really stand side by side with our citizens oh we also helped the city with their mask up campaign and on figures around the city painted murals we had masks put oh, on them wow, so cool. that we could have like this whole campaign like wear a mask wear a mask <sighs> and for our transit authority we did a we did a whole host of programs with them about inspiring people you take transit but be careful wear a mask stay you know so i feel like it was really good for us to partner with the major departments and help deliver services to the city. Yeah. And I think it helps, you know, with, with people coming back into the cities that they're, they're no longer going to be working from home. They're gradually going to come back to the offices. They're going to start commuting. It's been a traumatic time. This really lifts everybody. But I liked what you said there, Jane, that there was a public health message in what you were doing as well. Right. Oh, so yeah. you you would, you know, because we talked in the past about, you know, when you did go into the cities, the billboards had been taken over with public health messages, right? And they all felt a little bit, oh my gosh, what is happening? But to be able to bring it into into murals and, and to put masks on on, on other images mm-hmm. and paintings, I think that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I think that's really innovative and, and, and creative. Oh, um, thank you. Now, one of the things we've seen, unfortunately, and we discussed it last week, one of the separate pandemics or the the extra pandemic, if you will, is that of mental health. There's been an increase in mental health issues, particularly amongst young people, right, and in the Gen Z. Uh, How can the work that you do play in alleviating some of those mental health conditions and problems amongst those young people? Well, one thing we did almost immediately as well is we designed um, zines and comic books all about how young people can cope with trauma. So they were beautifully designed, really fun, and also healing. And we distributed thousands around the city. So part of it was trying to reach that demographic and offer some help and support. The other is, I think that for young people, we've just tried to really, in spite of budget cuts, keep our program stable like to make sure that we're in many places, we're at schools, we're at community centers, we're at recreation centers. We have programs for young young adults coming home uh, from the juvenile justice and justice system. And we just really want to make sure that young people know there are places for you to go where people will really care about you. And we have a trauma-informed curriculum in all our programs. So we really have an eye on people's mental well-being. We also have a lot of programs uh, in a part of our city called Kensington, which is a part of our city that's really been frayed and torn apart by years of um, opioid and heroin use. And so we just started a program called Lots and Lots of Love, where we're reclaiming vacant lots and turning them into like art spaces and activations where people, I was just there last Sunday and there were tons of kids drawing and painting and one kid, he had a birthday. So we brought out a big cake for him and had balloons and there were artists there. And, you know, the creative sector is the creative sector and they can really pull rabbits out of hats. And I think that's what we need to do. We need to figure out how we deploy beauty and hope and art on behalf of our citizens, knowing that people 
have been severely traumatized over the last yeah. few years. Yeah. Now, and I think, and I'd be interested to get your views on 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 this, Jane, because obviously you're an artist. You've dedicated your life to art, and in this modern age we live in, a lot of children spend a lot of time attached to their mobile device or their mm -hmm. tablet. There's been so much in the news recently about the problems that social media uh, has caused, uh, particularly young people. But I think it's fair to say that there is something therapeutic and mentally nourishing about art, about drawing, sketching, and I, and I mean tangible art, not like digital art on your tablet, or there may be some benefit in that, but actually getting out paint and crayons and really expressing yourself. What are your thoughts on that, Jane? Do you agree? It's it's part of, I think, for, for people that are suffering through this pandemic, something that could be hugely beneficial to them. You know, I'll, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think you want to start with something that happened like some years back that really stuck with me. We did a a project called Healing Walls, where we worked with the men in a state prison, victims, advocates, and victims of crime. And a woman who started working with us had been the victim of a very violent rape. And she had been isolated in her home until she started working with us. And it was sort of life-changing for her. And she would come to all our paint days. And one day she said to me, you know what, Jane, you know what this is like, painting? And I said, what? And she, Eileen said, it is like ice skating when I was little. It is meditative. Wow. And it has brought me back to myself again. And so I think there is something deeply therapeutic and healing about the process of creating. You take that a step further, when you're working on a public piece, you're also working as a team. So you're working individually and you're also working collectively and you're also connecting to the city. And then you get to see the fruits of your work as you drive through the city. And so there's something healing on all those different levels. And so I think it's our responsibility, people who are running programs, people who are in government, people who are civic leaders, to think about what is the role of art and why, why do we marginalize it? Why do we, you know, sort of push it to the side when it comes to schools? Why do we not support it as it relates to its place in city government? I mean, I think that is just really a question for us that we need to grapple with, especially, you know, a city, Philadelphia, I'm sure Toronto is not different, that has so many great practitioners and cultural workers and artists. I mean, it's just a feast of riches as far as I can see. And that's why I love the WPA, that concept of really linking artists to services is everywhere. Everyone rises as a result of this yeah. endeavor. And so I always think, oh, we're sort of, it's like underutilized. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we see here in Philly. It's like we've sort of shining a light on this gift and it's like, okay, this is great. Let's make the most of it. Let's stretch art as far as it can go. And when we think we've gone far enough, we should go further. And, you know, we spoke last week with a, an educational specialist and she talked about meditation being good and mindfulness for children during, you know, the pandemic or even after the pandemic and helping children deal with the extra stresses that they face today that we didn't have to stress uh, face, right? There, there's so many extra pressures. But I think art is central. Uh, everything you've said, Jay, art should really be mandated as something that is therapeutic and helpful 
uh, to young to all people in society for all those reasons. Now, I'm going to switch gears a little bit because I want to get your thoughts on something. And it's something that always hits the press uh, globally. And that's the artist known as Banksy. He's not really a mural artist and he's not really a graffiti artist, but he garners a lot of attention. What are your thoughts on on Banksy? Just because I was reading about it last week and I find it quite fascinating. Well, I think his work is really interesting. I mean, I don't I don't really know what to make of him. I mean, some of the things that he does, like tearing up of the the shredding of the piece and that. But I mean, I, I sort of like that sometimes his work will appear on a school or a community center or, you know, there's something about him that really obviously wants to give back. And so I sort of champion that, of course, because that's just right in line with what we do. Um, I sort of like the surprise effect of it. It's just sort of like, oh my God, look, it's here. (laughs) We do that sometimes. We try to like surprise people because I think that's just like sort of a gift. You're like, oh my goodness. Yeah. So I think that his work is is interesting. I will admit like some of the things that he does, I I don't quite understand, but I that, you know, I, I respect his talent and I certainly really love the fact that he does give back. Yeah, it, it just creates a lot of media noise. And I think it's probably the anonymity and maybe the controversy so. of what he does that gets people yeah. interested, right? Because yeah. you know, my, my daughter, she's 11 years old. She's art is her thing. And she notices, you know, this because the, the press hype it up right Um, and then another question I'd like to ask you and just get your thoughts on this and I I touched on it before we live in this digital age Mm -hmm. we live in this age of connectivity much of that is is very positive and beneficial and we touched on some of the negatives how has your craft changed over the years with technology what have you deployed that has made you know your work or your creativity even even further Well, I would say about 10, 15 years ago for us, it became like, what is muralism in the 21st century? Like we're part of this very noble and wonderful tradition of creating work on walls. You think about the Mexican muralists, the political art in LA, Chicago, and San Francisco in the 60s and 70s. And then, you know, the work that's going on in our city and cities across the country and the world. But I think like technology has made a lot of things possible. So it's completely shifted how people make murals, right? So there you have to learn Photoshop and you're digitizing your image and you're printing it out on large format, you know, printers, like very different than when I started painting murals where you would grid your paper in it's divided up into inches and you divide the wall up into feet and you just transfer inch to foot and hope for the best. It's like, I have a really bad back. I think it's cause I climbed scaffolding for 20 years, <laughs> like up and down, up and down, up and down. So that's one thing. The second is, you know, sometimes we're thinking about not just murals on a wall, but that muralism, that genre can be expanded. It could be projection. It could be eight miles of color along the Amtrak corridor. It could, we did a project uh, with an artist who did a radio series. He said it was public art on the public airwaves. You know, I just feel like the de- the definition has expanded tremendously. And if you look at our body of work, it's very, maybe 60% are still your more traditional murals. A good, a 40%, I'd say, temporary, conceptual, performative, you know, tapping into the broader cultural community and doing work there. So I think that's really interesting. It's really a lot of times about intent and what sort of are the values driving the project and what are the outcomes that you want. And so we're very consistent with that. But I would say that we feel like our our techniques and the bag of tricks and the things we're using to work in public space has opened up hugely. Um, 
And part of it is technology has really sort of helped open our eyes um, in many ways. And the other is just that we think it's important for the field, for the genre to just keep, like it's like like a flower that keeps opening up. We always talk about social media, but I, I don't think there's any getting away, you know, from social media. We, we touched on Banksy and how people pick up. And mm. Are you um, a part of any Facebook groups or do you follow any particular artists on Instagram or any that gives you any inspiration? Do you sort of take benefit from social media in, in those instances? Yeah, I mean, I have so many artists I, fo- I like look at, but I mean, I'm not a huge social media person, but I do think Instagram has been good for artists. I mean, I think that it gives them an international platform. I think people are always checking out the work. It's made things way more accessible. It's not necessarily that you have to be with a gallery now. I mean, it's it's great if you do have gallery representation, but it's it's like just opened up things just tremendously. So I think that's really interesting. We did every few years, we have like a Biennale here in Philly. And many years ago, we worked, it's just six years ago, we worked with a curator, Pedro Alonso, and it, we did something called Open Source. And it was about that our work was sort of open to artists. And what we do, our methodology open to artists and artist genius was open to us and the city. And one of the artists we worked with was Shepard Ferry. And that was really interesting. And I admire how Shepard has made his work. I mean, you obviously people are purchasing his work and it's it's great if you own a Shepard Ferry, but he there are also other ways to access Shepard's work if you're not like a multimillionaire, right? Mm-hmm. So he's figured out a way to make it very available. And that I found fascinating. So I think social media and and artists who have sort of cracked the code there have figured out a way to tell their stories in interesting ways, make their work accessible in different ways. So there's a way to make it work for yourself, even though I feel like I both like social media and absolutely run out of patience with it. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> no, I, I, it's it's such a controversial hot topic across everything these days. And, and but you also teach as well, right, Jane, at, at the university. Do you see? differences in approach or attitude today from when you you know started out back in the 70s has the generational change do people look for different things is there a different enthusiasm or people that are passionate about art it's pretty consistent over the years Well, I think people who are drawn to our class, which is really about how you use art to understand the city better and what does working in public space mean, I think that it's a type of student that is drawn to us, um, who's very sort of conscientious, thinks a lot about civic and social issues. But I will say that I feel the last few years have opened people up to more difficult and challenging conversations around race. I think that people think differently about working in a community. I think it's not really about just going in and doing work. It's more about how one becomes a platform and provides sort of an an opportunity for others to come in and do the work, that it is really about co-creating. I think that way of looking at public artwork, I think there's been a pretty major shift there. Now, I would say we were sort of pioneers of that notion, and I really can't claim credit for it. I think we worked with so many community leaders, community organizers back in the day, and they sort of influenced us to make sure that we went in without assumptions, ask questions, don't insist you have answers. And so the collection started in a way that really appreciated a more collaborative, collective way of working. Um, that was really out of style until 
way more recently. And then I think the last few years in our country and really across the world, I think people are are coming at critical issues with more sensitivity and empathy as they should. Wonderful, wonderful. And then my final question, because I know we're, we're almost out of time, but if you could go anywhere in the world right now, because travel's starting to return, if you could go to any art museum, if you could go and see any art installation, where would it be? If you had, if I could give you that ticket right now, Jay, where would you love to travel? In? I think I would be really interested in going to South America. I mean, we've been to Colombia, but I would love to go to Rio, San Paulo, I think would be really, just because it's like the home to so much street art. The work happens in such an organic fashion that I'm really intrigued by that. So I think I would be interested to go there. I also, we have been working with a couple artists who are in Chile and Santiago, and I would love to go there. So I, I think I would be drawn to some uh, sort of cities in South America. Wonderful. Great. So there we go, Jane. I think we're almost out of time. I've really enjoyed our conversation. It's been wonderful. It's been really great. And what are you up to next? Where can our listeners find out what you're doing next? Well, like I said, October is Mural Arts Month. If people go to our website, muralarts.org, they will be able to um, hear about many, many exciting new projects coming up. And we also have still have a number of events on Zoom. So people should tune in. We have some terrific artists that will be in part of different panel discussions over the next few months. So I just really encourage people to go there. And if you're in the Philadelphia area, please consider a mural tour. Mm -hmm. Because of the pandemic, we we stopped doing trolley tours, but we have walking tours in five different neighborhoods of the city. And if you want to get to know Philadelphia, go on a walking tour because just a great way to to understand and see the the stories of Philadelphia. And, and, you know, ultimately, I feel that the work is intimacy in a public space. There's something, you know, we talk a lot about monuments today, and people in Philadelphia really claim murals as monuments. So there's one thing about monuments that we can all agree on. I think that they have to change. And I think looking at murals and sort of through that lens is fascinating. So if people come to Philadelphia, they'll see work that is truly the autobiography of the city and work that is very, very powerful. Brilliant. I really, really enjoyed my conversation with Jane. You know, in this digital age of multiple screens and software applications that are essentially designed to monopolize your attention, Jane is proof that art, and in this instance, public art, can not only transform and regenerate the look of your city, but address the very cultural and societal issues that the city itself faces. It brings people together and instills pride and belonging in their environment. So if you enjoyed that, please subscribe to our podcast on all the usual podcast channels. Leave a review or rating if you feel so inclined. It certainly helps us. And check out two other Amdocs podcasts that are brilliant and available now. The Future of Tech with Abishai Charlin and Points of View with our CMO, Gil Rosen. As I always say, visit our new and improved website, amdocs.com forward slash the great indoors, where we have a cornucopia of assets related to the series. Now, we are fast approaching the finale of this amazing season three of The Great Indoors. And in doing so, we will be recording in Los Angeles as part of MWC LA. 
please check out our website that I just mentioned on how you could become a guest on the show. And if you're in Los Angeles from the 26th to the 28th of October, please come and see us. We have gifts. Until then, I'm Matt Roberts for Amdocs in Toronto and have a great day wherever you are.